We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 475 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, December 30th, 2022. It is the final episode of the Al Galdi Podcast in the year 2022. We are on the doorstep of 2023. Uh, What does 2023 have in store for us in sports and beyond? Who the heck knows? But Happy New Year to everyone. I hope that you have had a great 2022 and will have an even better 2023. Uh, Unfortunately, the Dallas Cowboys are having a rather good 2022. They may well have a whole lot to play for in their regular season finale, which just happens to be at the Commanders in Week 18. The Cowboys improved to 12-4 and with a 27-13 win at the Tennessee Titans on Thursday Night Football. So the Cowboys still could win the NFC East. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are atop the division at an NFL best 13-2. and They are home to the New Orleans Saints this Sunday afternoon at 1 when our 7-7-1 Commanders are home to the 6-9 and Cleveland Browns. Hello and welcome to this Commander's pregame show, Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show for which there's a new episode each weekday, Monday through Friday, with each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. You never have to guess when the next episode of this podcast is coming out. You also never have to guess what we're talking about on the show before a Commander's game. Uh, Well, that would be the Commander's game. Uh, In-depth preview of Commander's Browns is coming up. A big game for our Manders, for our Durs, uh, in their playoff push, of course, as they cling to the NFC's third and final wildcard spot. There is a lot to get into uh, regarding injuries and also illnesses for the Commanders. Uh, this is a banged-up bunch right now, especially on defense. We'll be discussing that. Uh, you will hear the best of what Commanders offensive coordinator Scott Turner and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio had to say during their post-practice press conferences on Thursday afternoon, including Scott on the Commanders going back to Carson Wentz as their starting quarterback. Uh, I have a guest for you, Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report. Uh, he is the host of the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast, which is a Browns film breakdown pod. Uh, Jake's very good. He'll tell us all that we need to know about the Browns. Uh, I, of course, have my rhyming keys for a commander's win 
and I have a prediction for the game. Are you aware of O and 13? Yes, O and 13. NFL teams in this 2022 regular season in the weeks immediately following games against the San Francisco 49ers are O and 13. Will the Commanders off their 37-20 loss at the Niners this past Saturday, Christmas Eve, get that record to 1-13 and with a win over the Browns this Sunday afternoon? What is, of course, New Year's Day. Uh, also on the show, the Capitals, uh, a 4-3 overtime loss to the Ottawa Senators at Capital Win Arena on Thursday night in what was one of the worst performances by the Caps this season, I'll explain. Uh, I'll also talk some college hoops. Both Maryland and Georgetown played on Thursday night. The Terrapins got a bit of a scare from UMBC, but did win an 80-64 win over UMBC at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland. The Hoyas lost uh, lost at DePaul, 83-76. Now are 0-3 in the Big East. Uh, this off last season going 0-20 in the Big East, if you count the Big East Tournament. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the commanders benching Taylor Heineke and going back to Carson Wentz as their starting quarterback. Tweet from a man, Edge, uh, writes Edge, I'd like to see two new quarterbacks here with Sam Howell next season. Wentz is a bum with a capital B. Uh, thank you, Edge. Tweet from Michael, ultimate boom or bust scenario for Wentz. He's either redeemed and makes the team look smart, or he's a two-time loser who stopped his teams on playoff pushes, and we start seeing his name listed next to Heath and Jamarcus. Uh, thank you for the tweet, Michael. You know, Carson Wentz has had a much better career than either Heath Schuler or Jamarcus Russell had. I mean, let's be fair. Uh, email from Tony Andrews writes, Tony, here are some thoughts to prepare us for Wentz starting. Number one, does Scott Turner have to come out of the coaching booth to cuddle Carson on the sidelines? Number two, does Jason Wright have to muzzle the newscasters for disrespectful questions to Carson? Number three, can Dan come back to the games now that we finally got ourselves a quarterback. Uh, well, he has been attending the games. Number four, does the team throw up a little in its mouth as Carson prances around with his Captain C on his chest? Number five, what's the protocol when Carson throws away the game at the end, like the Titans game? If I'm being positive, when slash if when struggles, bring in Taylor Heineke off the bench. That is the natural order of things that takes advantage of each quarterback's strengths. Uh, thank you for the email, Tony. Not a Carson Wentz fan, I take it. Not a fan of Commander Carson, I take it. Uh, as I said on Thursday's show, episode 474, I am good with the decision to go back to Carson Wentz as a team starting quarterback, but there's no doubt <laughs> that this decision could blow up in the team's face. I mean, Carson Wentz is a high-variance quarterback. Now, so too is Taylor Heineke, but Carson is notoriously high-variance. What I'm hoping for is that the good Carson, who we did see at times during his six-game run as a team starting quarterback earlier this regular season, is the Carson who we see on Sunday afternoon against the Browns. The Carson, who in the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1, went 27-41 for 313 yards, four touchdowns, and also two interceptions. But he also took just one sack, and he also quarterbacked a commander's offense that went 7-10 of on third downs. That's the Carson who I want to see 
on Sunday afternoon. Uh, the Carson, who in the loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2 in the second half, went 21-29 for 278 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception, and took just one sack. And he had two key scrambles for 23 yards and quarterback to commander's offense that went 5-7 on third downs. That's the Carson who I want to see on Sunday afternoon. The Carson who in the loss to the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field in Week 5 went 25-38 for 359 yards and two touchdowns, averaged 9.45 yards per pass attempt, and for pro football focus had five big-time throws. Uh, never mind that he also threw a red zone interception on uh, the next-to-last snap of the game. That's the Carson who I want to see on Sunday afternoon. Well, what I also want to see is you doing well, but if you have been negatively impacted by the negligence of someone else, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Founded in 1979, Paulson and Nace is dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. No law firm does a better job of fighting for victims than Paulson and Nace does. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Uh, Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to take care of themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. You're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, this podcast, the Al Galdi podcast, is a success because of you. So thank you. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. If you're not already doing that, subscribing costs you nothing. And make sure that each episode is automatically downloaded right to your device. Uh, also, ratings and reviews do help out a lot. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a brief review saying, 
that you like the podcast. The review can be just like a sentence or two, and the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. Uh, the 7-7-1 seven, seven, and one Commanders, home to the 6-9 and nine Cleveland Browns this Sunday afternoon at 1. Next segment, I'm talking Commanders defense. Right now, the Commanders offense. Five Commanders offensive players were on Thursday's injury report for this game. Running back Antonio Gibson for Thursday was listed as not practicing for a second consecutive day. So bad news there. Uh, He's dealing with foot and knee ailments. Uh, Running back Brian Robinson Jr. again was on the commander's injury report, but he for Thursday was listed as a full participant in practice for a second consecutive day. He's dealing with a quadriceps issue. Center Wes Schweitzer was on Thursday's injury report of having not been on Wednesday's injury report. Uh, He for Thursday was listed as not practicing due to illness. Uh, Left guard Andrew Norwell for Thursday was listed as a full participant in practice off on Wednesday, having been listed as a limited participant in practice. He's dealing with a shoulder problem and offensive lineman Sadiq Charles for Thursday was listed as not practicing for a second consecutive day. He's dealing with a concussion that had him inactive for the commander's last game, the 37-20 loss at the San Francisco 49ers this past Saturday. Uh, So the Antonio Gibson situation certainly is concerning. A player not practicing on Wednesday and Thursday, a bad sign for playing on Sunday. Meantime, Commander's Offensive Coordinator Scott Turner did a post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon. A good chunk of the presser was him answering questions about the Commanders making the switch to Carson Wentz as the starting quarterback. Uh, Here was Scott on Carson being back as the team's QB1. I think, you know, Carson, the one thing, you know, Carson's excited to get back and play, and he's been preparing um, last couple weeks to play. You know, he was excited to get back in the game. I think... um, you know, I think Coach talked about it. You know, Taylor's been a little beat up. You know, uh, we've had some issues. Some of them have been stuff Taylor done. Some of it hasn't been his control. I think it gives a little bit of a spark uh, of Carson coming in. Um, you know, like like we said, he's healthy. Um, he's energized, ready to go. I think, you know, there's not going to see much difference as far as, you know, what we want to do. We still want to be physical, um, you know, and be balanced in that way. Uh, but I think just, the, you know, his excitement and energy coming in will be good. So the word spark has been used a lot in discussing the reasoning for benching Taylor Heineke in favor of Carson Wentz, right? Carson can provide a spark. What's funny is that when Carson got hurt, when he suffered the fractured right ring finger in the win at the Chicago Bears on Thursday night football in week six, and then Taylor became the team's starting quarterback, the feeling was that Taylor would provide a, wait for it, spark. Uh, There are few football cliches that are more cliche than a quarterback taking over as the starting quarterback, having the potential to provide a spark. Uh, As Bruce Springsteen said many years ago, you can't start a fire without a spark. We'll see if uh, Carson Wentz, in fact, provides a spark. Well, one of the biggest reasons to think that Carson will provide a spark, that the second go-round for Carson as the commander starting quarterback will be better than the first go-round, is that he is more comfortable with and familiar with the offense. Uh, head coach Rod Rivera certainly suggested that in his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon. This was Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on where he has seen Carson's growth in the offense. 
Uh, I think a lot of times, you know, when guys, you know, get injured or they stop playing and you kind of take a step back when you've already been out there and you kind of see it from another perspective, it can help just provide clarity. Uh, I think, you know, you saw him uh, when he came in against San Francisco, obviously, you know, and we were down a two minute type mode, but just being able to get the ball out of his hand, um, distribute it, not, not always, not trying to think, hey, there's going to be something better. Let me wait and see, but just understand where the guys are, you know, get it out and let guys catch and run, you know what I mean? And not, not taking those extra hits. I think that was an illustration of that. Um, you know, he's been really good uh, in the meetings, you know, this whole time, um, you know, that he hasn't been playing, whether he was, you know, when he was on IR or um, when he was the backup, um, of just asking questions and trying to get that further understanding um, of just, you know, where everybody's going to be, you know, how the routes are going to be run. And just the, not, not, he always knew the plays were just like the understanding of the intricacies inside of them. Um, and I think that's just helped with the, uh, you know, making decisions quicker. And, you know, you think about it, out of all of the things that a quarterback does, making decisions that A, are the correct decisions, and B, are decisions that are made quickly, may be the most important thing. Uh, the quarterbacks who best process plays, both in terms of where to go with footballs and the speed with which the quarterbacks make the decisions of where to go with footballs, are the quarterbacks who tend to do the best. I mean, accuracy certainly matters a lot. Pocket presence certainly matters a lot. But a quarterback's processing of plays, so important. And you would think that Carson Wentz, having been in Scott Turner's offense for nearly a full season now, will have better processing in his second go-round as the commander's starting quarterback. Uh, the commander's pass protection, a big problem. Uh, we've been talking a lot about that. Here was Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on the need for Carson Wentz to get rid of balls quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think you, we can always help the line with protection as far as like, you know, if we're trying to get some balls down the field where you're chipping or you're sliding one way, chipping one way, sliding the other, stuff like that. Um, and then the quarterback's just got to understand like, you know, sometimes, and it's not it's not just Carson, it's quarterbacks in general, like, you'll pass up one thing because you think something else is better, and, like, you just can't do that. Like, you, the ball's got to come out. Like, you got to get come out in rhythm. Um, you know, the receivers, you know, I've talked to you guys before about, like, pass pro, it's not just the line. Like, we got to get open so the quarterback can throw the ball. And part of that, you know, is mixing in some quick throws, you know, and then, but with the guys we have, like, we want to be able to attack and get the ball down the field. Um, and you, sometimes you got to hold it a little longer, so you got to make sure we're matching the protections um, with what we want. But but that, the, ultimately, the quarterback's got to have the clock in his head where, hey, this thing's got to come out. And if the route doesn't come up the way it's supposed to, find a check down or, or, or throw it away, you know, and get us, get us to the next down. Of all of the things that went wrong for Carson Wentz over the commanders for six games of this regular season, you certainly could make the case that the worst thing was the frequency with which Carson took sacks. Uh, Carson Wentz for this 2022 regular season has a sack percentage of 8.5. Uh, sack percentage is times sacked divided by the sum of pass attempts and times sacked. Uh, Taylor Heineke's sack percentage for this 2022 regular season is 6.8. Each guy's sack percentage is too high. Uh, neither guy's sack percentage is all on him, but it's imperative that Carson does not take sacks at the rate at which he took sacks earlier this season. Uh, otherwise, we are going to be having a whole lot of Derek Carr conversation in the coming weeks. By the way, for the record, yes, I would be interested in the commanders potentially acquiring Derek Carr this offseason, but there's a lot that needs to be determined with that situation, including why exactly the Las Vegas Raiders appear set to move on from him and whether he would have to be traded for or could be signed 
as an unrestricted free agent off being released by the Raiders. Uh, trust me, this commander's offseason, whenever it begins, uh, we are going to have a lot of quarterback conversations. Well, if one of your New Year's resolutions is to make more money, and why the heck wouldn't that be a resolution, uh, consider advertising your business or practice on the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, you'll reach thousands of people in the Washington, D.C. area every episode at a very affordable price. Hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Uh, bad news for the commander's defense on Thursday. The injury report for the team's game against the Cleveland Browns at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1 included eight commander's defensive players. Uh, safety Cameron Curl for Thursday was listed as a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day. Uh, he was inactive for the commander's 37-20 loss at the San Francisco 49ers this past Saturday. And yes, the commander's missed him a lot. Uh, hopefully, He's back on Sunday. The most concerning item with the commander's defense on Thursday was that corner Benjamin St. Juice was listed as not practicing. Uh, this off him for Wednesday, having been listed as a limited participant in practice. So the juice has gone backwards. Uh, the juice in the loss at the Niners returned from a three-game absence caused by a right ankle injury that he suffered in the win at the Houston Texans in Week 11. But he, in the first quarter of the loss at the Niners, left the game. It did come back into the game, ultimately played on 85% of the commander's defensive snaps, but uh, pretty clearly that ankle still is a problem. Uh, also, safety Derek Forrest. He was on Thursday's injury report, off having not been on Wednesday's injury report. Uh, Forrest for Thursday was listed as not practicing due to illness, as uh, an illness pretty clearly is going around the commanders right now. Uh, also, safety Percy Butler. He was on Thursday's injury report off having not been on Wednesday's injury report. Uh, Butler for Thursday was listed as being a limited participant in practice due to a hip issue. A lot of commanders defensive backs were on this Thursday injury report. Uh, also, edge defender James Smith-Williams for Thursday was listed as not practicing for a second consecutive day due to a concussion that he suffered in the loss at the Niners. Linebacker John Bostic for Thursday was listed as not practicing for a second consecutive day due to a pectoral injury that he suffered in the loss at the Niners. Uh, some good news, finally. Uh, edge defender Chase Young for Thursday was listed as a full participant in practice. Uh, this off him for Wednesday, having been listed as not practicing due to a non-COVID illness. And edge defender Shaka Tony for Thursday was listed as a full participant in practice. This off him for Wednesday, having been listed as being a limited participant in practice due to an ankle. You got all of that. Uh, every NFL team this late in the season is banged up, of course, but the commander's defense has a lot going on from an injury slash illness standpoint right now. Uh, commander's defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio did a post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon. The commanders in their loss at the Niners got uh, worked, shall we say, by tight end George Kittle, who had six receptions for 120 yards and two touchdowns on eight targets. This was Jack on Thursday afternoon on where the commanders missed Cam Curl on Saturday. Uh, covering the tight end. Like, you know, Kittle, Kittle ran free last week a couple times. like to see Cam on that matchup. He's, he's a guy that can, you know, do multiple things. Um, we, we miss him, you know. And we're just getting ready to go for the next opportunity. Hopefully we get him back soon. Until he does, we'll next man up and keep rolling. 
Yeah, the Browns don't have George Kittle, but the Browns do have a very capable tight end in David Njoku. Uh, Njoku, for the 2022 regular season through Week 16, was number six among 45 qualified NFL tight ends in Football Outsiders' DYAR metric. Uh, DYAR stands for Defense Adjusted Yards Above Replacement is similar to Wins Above Replacement War in baseball. So we'll see about Cam Curl for Sunday afternoon against the Browns. We'll also see about Benjamin St. Juice. I mean, who knows what to think about his status. Uh, Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon got asked how he felt St. Juice played in the loss at the Niners. How about Jack's response? Uh, like a guy that had been out, a guy that had been injured. So he, he's trying uh, to get back for us. I appreciate that. And um, we'll just we'll just keep working with him. Yeah, pretty blunt assessment from Jack Del Rio of Benjamin St. Juice right there. Uh, Well, a commander's defensive player who did play well in the loss at the Niners was Chase Young. Uh, He, in his 2022 season debut and first game since suffering the torn right knee in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on November 14th, 2021, was quite good. Uh, Chase played on 30 of the commander's defensive snaps, a lot more than the 12 to 16 defensive snaps that he had been expected to play. Uh, He, for the game, was the highest graded commander's player for pro football focus, overall grade of 87.4. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon on the season debut of Chase Young, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with commander's insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. I thought... uh... I thought it was a really solid first game back. They showed toughness and awareness um, throughout the ball game and um, ended up playing a few more snaps than really I I thought he would, Uh, but he was rolling pretty good and he felt good, and so we let him him go. What's the next step for him? Keep playing. Yeah, just just keep playing. I mean, um, eventually grow into, you know, the the normal role, but... um, I like the way he's approaching it. I think, I think his mind's right. I think his body is improving, and he's, uh, he's working hard at it. Yeah, and the commanders would seem likely to lean on Chase Young even more for this game against the Browns, given that James Smith-Williams is looking unlikely to play in the game due to his concussion. Uh, more from Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon on Chase Young. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was aware for example, the, the the screen down there, you know, um, I think he was tough. You know, there were times where um, he stacked up his end of the line really well, setting a vertical edge for us. And um, I thought he showed I thought he showed toughness throughout. You know, he's he's a guy that loves football. You you can see it, you can feel it, and um, you know, having having his presence back was was good for us. Yes, it was. Well, someone who can be good for you is real estate agent Kellen Hunt. Uh, Be aware of the opportunity that currently exists in the Washington, D.C. area real estate market. Housing prices are coming down due to an increase in inventory caused by the increases in mortgage rates, uh, with others not buying. Now, actually, is the perfect time to buy. When everyone else is zigging, you should be zagging because there are bargain deals for great homes waiting for you. Contact real estate agent Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. 
Kellen Hunt understands the Washington, D.C. area real estate market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life, whether you are a first-time buyer looking for guidance, or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you and can help you take advantage of the current market. Uh, Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He's a great guy, and he'll listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. See what Kellen Hunt can do for you. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Well, the Commanders and Cleveland Browns are brothers from different mothers, uh, two teams that have had hard times for decades, especially in terms of the quarterback position. But Washington entering this season had made the playoffs just six times over the previous 29 seasons. The Browns have been eliminated from playoff contention for this season. They now have made the playoffs just twice in the 24 seasons since the team was reestablished as an expansion franchise beginning with the 1999 season, the 7-7-1 Commanders, home to the 6-9 Browns this Sunday afternoon at 1. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report. He is the host of the OBR Film Breakdown podcast, which is a Browns film breakdown pod. You can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake underscore Burns 18. Hey, Jake, how are you? I'm great, Al. Thanks for having me in, man. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. So let us begin with Deshaun Watson. Uh, Four games for him as a Browns quarterback since his 11-game suspension ended. Uh, The stats, as you know, are hideous. Has he been as bad as the numbers would suggest? I think in a way, yes, and in a way, no. Um, he, He started really roughly in his first two starts, Houston on the road and then um, at Cincinnati as well. Both of those games, you could see definitive rust. I think it was pretty obvious game speed. You can you could try to mimic a lot of things as you work back through a long hiatus. You know, you can get in a you can get in a football space and throw. You can you can perform at practice and different things. But the lights are on and people are actually about to hit you. It's a little different, as you know, right? So the pressure stuff was really poor. And I think that when the Browns' offensive line has not been playing as well as many of us have hoped and expected the second half of the year. Some of the pressure leaks have caused problems for him. So his first two games were rough. I thought Baltimore, he was better. Uh, It was sort of a weird game. They ended up throwing for a ton of yards, but they did enough to win, and I thought he was better. And then I thought he was fine this past week in absolutely brutal conditions, up to 50-mile-per-hour winds inside the stadium there in Cleveland. It was, you know, negative 20 degrees with the wind chill. It was brutal, and I thought he threw pretty well. Both teams uh, had to throw with the wind. If you were throwing against the wind, it was it was certainly a good luck uh, scenario there. But uh, when he was throwing with the wind, I thought he was pretty good. He made a couple late throws that were in the spots needed to, to catch touchdowns inside a minute left to tie the game, and both were dropped. And, you know, he's not playing up to the standard of what, you know, many expected based on his 2020 output, but I think that'll come in time. You know, he's certainly learning a new offensive system. 
He's he's coming into a season late, which is all in and of itself a massive challenge trying to figure out how you're going to fit into a system. But right now, not as good as we hoped. But there are signs here that you know a full off season and all of the things that go into that end up resulting in a pretty good 2022 season if everything stays intact. So looking at the whole Deshaun Watson saga of the last few years, and of course the saga has been wild, right? 25 civil lawsuits from massage therapists alleging sexual misconduct. He was never criminally charged, but stuff came out even after the Browns traded six draft picks, including three first round picks to the Houston Texans for him this past March. Uh, The Browns gave him that five-year, $230 million contract. It's fully guaranteed. Uh, The NFL and NFL Players Association on August 18th agreed on a settlement by which Deshaun would serve an 11-game suspension without pay, pay a $5 million fine, and undergo mandatory evaluation by behavioral experts and follow their suggested treatment program. Now we have Deshaun having played poorly over his first four games with the Browns. A lot to take in, clearly. Uh, Do you think that the Browns still are good with having traded for Deshaun? Probably too early to tell. I mean, I, I don't know that, I, I guess that's a tricky one to answer. You know, they can't go, they obviously, and you know, you're not asking this in the manner that I'm answering it, but they can't go back on it. It's hard to regret it. I think you knew that you could go into this and regret it a little bit because of what you mentioned there, media backlash, all of the things that come with it for years to come, like that part of it, you just kind of had to like accept as far as the franchise. It's too early to tell what the player's going to be. I think we're, we're unfortunately watching a really similar situation unfold with Russell Wilson, and there's a whole bunch of fear. Is this quarterback situation going to be the same as Russell Wilson? I don't think it will because I think Deshaun has made some plays that indicate that the, that the same guy is in there. It's just going to take some time. Um, talk, like, like, look, I guess a good way to put this out is if you ask me the same question this time next year, I could give you a better answer. But six games late in the season – three of which have had some really weird weather scenarios. And I just, I don't, I don't feel like there's a definitive answer to that yet. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Beyond the issue of Deshaun Watson, uh, what have been the Browns' biggest problems this season? Lack of complimentary football. So at the beginning of the year, defense was as bad as it could possibly be. And I'm talking, I'm I'm being generous when I talk about their run defense being competent. It, It was, as far as we tracked at our website, I think we did this through the Week 12 game. It was the worst run defense that we could find dating back on an EPA basis to 2000. We couldn't wow. go any further back. It was unbelievably bad on, an, on a rush-by-rush basis. And um, it has gotten a little bit better. But again, weather conditions help with some of those things that have, that have pushed them in the right direction. But the beginning of the year, the first 10 weeks past defense was broken. Uh, they were giving up, you know, like they lost the game to the Jets there at the Week 2 uh, for example, they were up 13 points inside of two minutes left. I think a minute 19, they were up 13 points. Come out, give up a 70-yard bomb, onside kick recovery, Jets score again, you lose by a point. Like What they've done is the first 10 weeks of the season, the offense played really well. Jacoby Brissett, as good as any offseason acquisition at quarterback, has did in his 11 games, performed really strongly. And he played well, the offense played well enough to win. I would say of the Deshaun Watson's 11-game miss, the, the offense played well enough to win eight of those games. They came out of that scenario four and seven. So you can do the math on how bad the defense was. Miscommunications, blown coverages, porous run defense, terrible gap fitting, some injuries at linebacker. But the Browns glossed over defensive tackle, and it has really, really punished them 
uh, in terms of playing run defense. And, and really, you know, this is a different conversation, but there's a defensive coordinator issue there in terms of schematic decisions, alterations, things of that nature. But the personnel is a large part of the problem. Now, since the bye week, they came back out week 10. They've been better. If you look at 11, um, I think if you look at um, since week 11, they have the second best total defense EPA, which is kind of dumbfounding because it hasn't been that much better. But teams like Tampa, they beat Tampa and they just decided, hey, they weren't going to run it. They could have run, didn't want to run. You get Tom Brady, you get some of those guys they decided against. Baltimore ran 18 plays of power counter for 180 yards. Wow. They ran 10 other rush concepts for 18 yards total, and they threw Tyler Huntley 30 times. Don't doesn't make sense. The the Texans decided to throw Kyle Allen 39 times instead of running Damian Pierce. So they've been aided by some terrible game plans, um, some missed opportunities by defense. They've got a little bit better turnover luck. They've taken the football away. But to give you a, a long form answer of why they're six and nine, the defense started out bad, got better. The offense started out great and now has stagnated like crazy since the bye. So they have not put together two strings of, uh, of, of good football on both sides. And that's just like there's been some coin flip games in there out that they've lost that they shouldn't have lost. They should have won a, a Chargers game earlier in the year where they had a chance to kick a winner. Uh, they missed that one. They, they dropped a game to Atlanta early in the year that they should have won. So you're talking that's the, that's the slight difference, as you know, between – Nine and six and six and nine in the NFL is losing games that you should have won, and they they dropped too many early. We're talking Commanders Browns with Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report. He is the host of the OBR Film Breakdown podcast, which is a Browns film breakdown pod. You outlined the Browns' run defense very well. Uh, What about the Browns' pass defense? Uh, The team, of course, has an exceptional edge defender in Miles Garrett. Uh, does have a well-regarded corner in Denzel Ward. How has the Browns' pass defense been this season? Again, disappointing. They've been they've been in flux a little bit. Denzel has underperformed all year, not covered the way that we had hoped he would. He's he's sort of been a tick slow. You know, anytime he's been in zone coverage, just not not necessarily the ball hawking secondary player that we'd hoped he'd be coming off of a fresh new contract. If you look at, I don't really judge everything off Pro Football Focus grades. I like to watch it myself. But if you look at grades, they do match up, in my opinion, with his performance this year, significantly the worst performance over a collective year for him. They have not gotten the production from John Johnson, who came over from the Rams two years ago. They have not been able to get the best football out of John. He's been more of a deep safety than he was in L.A., where he played a little closer to the line of scrimmage, and I think that's impacted his overall performances. So he's not been what they've needed him to be. Denzel hasn't been what they've needed him to be. They have a young kid named Grant Delpit who they've drafted three years ago but tore his Achilles, so he's really in year two in the NFL. He's out of LSU, was on that national championship team. A good player. He's come along. He's made some strides. He's a positive. They drafted a kid named Martin Emerson in the third round out of Mississippi State. He's been a nice development on the outside, um, playing a lot of snaps as he's spot-filled and then ultimately really earned earned a role in this defense. And then Greg Newsom, who was their first-round pick in 2021, um, he uh, he actually started at outside corner his first year uh, at a Northwestern, had a nice year. They moved him inside this year to play nickel, and it's been very hit or miss. He is not a great run-fit player, and the Browns sling a lot of their run-fits into their nickel being a part of how they fit the run, sometimes see, sometimes as a force player, and he just does not like to tackle the way you need a nickel to tackle. So it's been disappointing for him. It's a talented group. They've invested a lot of 
assets into the group, but they have not gotten the return this year that they needed, especially early in the year. They've been better later in the year, but the early stuff when they needed those guys, like they, the expectation now for this team was it should be a rocky start to the offense. Jacoby Brissett trying to figure some things out, but the defense in year three of Joe Wood's system is supposed to be really good, and they were terrible to start the year, and that really hurt them. They've been better. I'm not saying they haven't been better. I think there's some deception inside that they've been better motto since the middle of the season, but but they they have been more respectable. But talented group, but at any given week, they can play poorly and be taken advantage of. You alluded to this. The Browns passing offense with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback actually had some success. And so guys like receivers Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones and tight end David Njoku have put up some numbers this season. What's your evaluation of the Browns pass catching core? Is this a good group? Yeah, three people. You, you, you named them. Um, you know, Amari's been good. He's been really good. Um, but But again, he's dealing now with a core hip injury. So that's given him some fits the last three weeks, but he's been what they've paid for. They got a great deal. They ended up swapping out a fifth round pick for him. Um, it's been a nice deal. He's, he's gone over a thousand yards, been a good player. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones plays X for them. So he's more of their backside split end. A lot of vertical route tree stuff. Not a great separator, but a very, very nice catch point player. Catches a lot of football thrown in his direction. Actually one of the higher catch rates across the entire NFL. So he's just a very solid receiver. Doesn't separate, not a nuanced route runner, but football's delivered in his area, high, low, wide catch radius, can go get it, does a nice job for them. And then David Njoku in his first year of, an, of, a, of a fresh new contract has done some really nice things, both slot, split, in line. He can do a variety of different things, catch the football over the middle, um, has had some moments of real dominance this year. He, he dealt with some injuries. He's had an ankle issue he had another soft tissue injury early in the year that kept him out for a little bit. But when he plays, he's effective. He's a good middle-of-the-field player. He can do different things off play action, route tree-wise. So those are the three you really have to worry about. Amari, they'll do different things. They'll put Amari in the slot. They'll motion him. They'll move him, try to get him some release stuff that's good for what they want to do, sometimes stacking up uh, formation-wise. So he's, uh, he's traditionally in more of a Z moving around uh, flanker type uh, positional player for them. If they do go 11 personnel, they bring in David Bell, late third round pick out of Purdue. Again, not a great separator, but but he'll catch the football if it's in his area. He's really just a guy right now. Doesn't really have any trait that separates him. Doesn't separate really well in general as a route runner. But if he's left in soft zone coverages, he can catch the football and do some very basic things. But he's certainly not some plus third wide receiver. So that's that's the three. You add David Bell. Sometimes they'll have a fourth guy, Michael Woods, kid they drafted out of Oklahoma late this, this last year, a bit more of a vertical guy, but he doesn't play a ton of snaps. So those are your your four that you're going to see. They do have Harrison Bryant, their, their second tight end. They'll play Harrison Bryant a little bit. They'll move him around, do some different wing alignments, put him in the backfield a little bit here and there. But in general, an average to below average athlete that you don't have to worry all too much about. And he'll catch the football, but um, not, not a separator or difference maker. The Browns, of course, have a great history of running backs. Uh, the Browns and Nick Chubb have arguably the best running back in the NFL right now. Uh, what to you are Nick Chubb's best qualities as a back? Vision. I think he's really patient and has great vision, has a nice ability to find cutting lanes that, that are necessary. Now, I don't think I don't think Nick has been as good the second half of the season as he was the first start of the season, uh, as they ran it really well. And some of that's tied into the offensive line. Some of that's tied into redundancy and scheme. 
Nick is he's great though. He's got you know I mean you could you could probably name a category outside of pass catching, which he's just not as fluid as you would hope. He can catch a screen, he can catch a flat, he can catch a swing, but he's not gonna do diverse route things out of the backfield. But patience, contact balance, tough to bring down, breaks a ton of tackles, has great ability to see a cut ahead of time. Um and, and and I think he can run in a variety of different schemes, whether that's pin pull stuff, whether that's cap. You know, sorry that that gap counter stuff uh, with with power, he can run wide zone. The Browns try to sprinkle in a good amount of wide zone. So you know, Nick is is uh, as far as a back lined up in the backfield is as good as they come. He's right there with Derrick Henry in terms of being able to uh, to do a bunch of different things. Well, you're not as good as these guys unless you can do pretty much everything well, right, in terms of how you run the rock. So he's just very consistent. He's always where he needs to be and uh, um, is, is really – it's very rare that he misses where he's supposed to. You create some mistake, you don't pursue down the line backside, somebody over-pursues front side, he will take advantage of that. So just, just really a nuanced runner. The Browns' offensive line coach is a man who we know well, Bill Callahan. Uh, He was with the Redskins from 2015 through 2019, was their interim head coach in the 2019 season. How has Bill done over his now uh, three seasons as the Browns' offensive line coach? Well, we we love him up here. He's done a great job overall. Now, they've hit their first really, really rough stretch as an offensive line. They've dealt with some injuries. Wyatt Teller, their right guard, who's a Pro Bowl player has dealt with an injury all year. Left tackle Jedrick Wills is a first-round pick in 20. He's had some inconsistency issues, and they've dealt with the center. They had a young man named Ethan Posich, who they signed early in the year, is playing as good a football across the league as any center. He went out for a stretch. He just came back. It's been a, a less consistent year than I think we hoped from that group because we thought that they would be really good from start to, to finish. And um, this this six seven week stretch has not been as good as we hoped it would be. But you know you're nitpicking here. Callahan does a fantastic job. He he really does a good job on the sideline of getting his guys together. He's down on the field coach. Typically they 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 see some issues from a defense, whether that's moving the alignment alignment things, different various structures. He's always talking to Kevin about ways in which they can attack it. So. As far as a return over three years, I think he's been phenomenal. Always loved the way he coaches, and I really don't think you're going to find a better one across the league, as I'm sure you can attest. Final question for you. You mentioned Kevin, as in the Browns head coach, Kevin Stefanski. Uh, This is his third season as the Browns head coach. Is he in trouble? Um, Well, you know, (laughs) you're dealing with ownership that is never... (laughs) <laughs> consistent. I think you can attest a little bit. Yes, right? I can. Yes. You, you're, you're dealing with, um, I don't know if the way to say it is fickle. There's a lot of different ways you can say it, the things about Jimmy Haslam. I, I don't know that I would say he's in trouble. I think that they could have, he could be in a more secure position if, for example, su- Sunday comes and Washington blows them out and then they go to Pittsburgh the following week and Pittsburgh blows them out. I think you could start to say is there some issue here, right? There's been a long-running history joke of, of Cleveland going to Pittsburgh, and that's the graveyard of coaches because they, they something happens in Pittsburgh, and that usually ends up de- dealing out some sort of firing. I think he's safe. He should be safe. He should get a full year with Deshaun Watson. He was a huge part of the trade that brought Watson here to then only give him six games with him to figure this out I don't think is fair. Kevin arrived in 21, coach of the year. He took him to the playoffs for the first time since 95. They won a playoff game. He's done good things here. Obviously, the next year in 21, Baker is a fraction of himself and regresses and is injured and 
they move on for Deshaun and then they only get Deshaun for six games. I think, again, I, I referenced earlier, talk to me about what Deshaun looks like a year from now. I think I think Kevin deserves to have another full year, perhaps change defensive coordinators, philosophies on that side, and have a year to attack this, uh, this, this offense with Deshaun. But as you know, with these owners and these perception-based things that happen, it's never guaranteed. So I, I would say it's like uh, 75-25, and that's a scary proposition. Yes. Ownership is the great wild card. Uh, we as Washington fans have learned that well. Uh, Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report, the host of the OBR Film Breakdown podcast, which is a Browns Film Breakdown pod. Jake, great stuff, man. Happy holidays. Uh, likewise, man. Thanks for having me on and uh, enjoy Sunday. All right. Up next, my rhyming keys for a commander's win over the Browns at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon as I will rhyme the path to a commander's victory. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, the NFL franchise now known as the Commanders has not played the Cleveland Browns often over the years, but when the two teams have played, the results have not been good for Washington, which all time in the regular season is just 12-34-1 against the Browns. Uh, Sunday afternoon's game between the 7-7-1 and Commanders and 6-9 and Browns at FedEx Field at 1 will be just the sixth regular season game between the two franchises since the start of the 1992 season. Uh, our commanders need a win badly. Uh, they have not won a game since the 1913 win over the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field on November 27th. And if on Sunday afternoon the commanders win, the Detroit Lions lose, the Seattle Seahawks lose, and the Green Bay Packers lose or tie, the commanders clinch a playoff spot. How do the commanders win this game and achieve what would be their first win in more than a month? Uh, well, my friends, it is that time. The time to rhyme. It is time for Rhyming Keys. My keys to a commander's victory 
in rhyming fashion. Understand, these rhymes, they are not meant to be good. They are not good. I promise you that. Uh, they are only meant to make a few points. And in fact, I have a saying for this segment. The worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Hardcore analysis combined with scheduled fun. Rhyming keys for a commander's win over the Browns. How do the commanders win this game? We now rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. This is for the commander's new starting quarterback, Carson Wentz, and the rest of the commander's offense. Deliver the goods against this defense of Joe Woods. Uh, Joe Woods, he is the Browns defensive coordinator. As we heard last segment from Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report, the host of the OBR Film Breakdown podcast, no fan is he of Joe Woods. Uh, the Browns for the 2022 regular season through week 16 had some very bad defensive rankings for Football Outsiders DVOA metric, number 24 in the NFL in total defense, number 15 in the NFL in pass defense, okay, but number 30 in the NFL in run defense. Additionally, the Browns were number 20 in the NFL in opponent yards per play at 5.56. There will be opportunities for the commander's offense to make plays on Sunday afternoon. The Browns' run defense this season has been especially bad, so perhaps we see running back Brian Robinson Jr. have a big game. Perhaps we see the commander's rushing offense bounce back of getting stymied in the previous game, the 37-20 loss at the San Francisco 49ers last Saturday, but specific to Carson Wentz. This obviously is a big game for him, not just in the context of this season, but in the context of his career. If Carson plays well in this game, and then in the Commander's regular season finale, if needed, and then in the playoffs, then he may well be back with the Commanders for next season, maybe even as their unquestioned QB1. I know that some of you just drove off the road hearing that, but I do believe that that scenario is in play. Heck, did you see what ESPN Commanders insider John Kime reported on Wednesday? Quote, Wentz has no more guaranteed money over the final two years of his deal. That means Washington could cut him without any cap penalty. But team sources say the Commanders would prefer not to look for another quarterback this offseason. If Wentz plays well, winning the last two games and perhaps one in the playoffs, then Washington could extend him, lowering his $26.7 million cap hit in 2023, end quote. Uh, again, I know that some of you just drove off the road hearing that, but this is the reality. However, if Carson does not play well against the Browns and then does not play well in Week 18 and the Commanders miss the playoffs, then there's a good chance that the Commanders will cut him this offseason and he will be done as a QB1 in the NFL. There is a lot of pressure on Carson Wentz. There's no doubt about that. And also, there should be a lot of pressure on a Commanders offensive line that has been a big disappointment this season. I have been very hard on the offensive line this week. I think for good reason. Taylor Heineke might still be the commander's starting quarterback had the offensive line been better. This line needs to be better. It was especially bad in the loss at the Niners. Hey, the Niners have a great defense. I get that. Well, the Browns do not have a great defense, although they do have a great edge defender in Miles Garrett. But how about the commander's offensive line steps up? as the saying goes. How about center Wes Schweitzer does a better job on a shotgun snaps to where we don't have a double-digit number of low snaps, as was the case 
this past Saturday. Rhyming key, number one, this for the Commander's new starting quarterback, Carson Wentz, and the rest of the Commander's offense, deliver the goods against this defense of Joe Woods. Rhyming key for Commander's Browns, number two, this for the Commander's defense. Limit Nick Chubb in order to get the dub. Uh, that would be dub, as in W, as in win. Uh, the Browns' Nick Chubb, he is maybe the best running back in the NFL. Nick Chubb, for the 2022 regular season through Week 16, was number three in the NFL in rushing yards at 1,344 and was number three among 40 qualified running backs in the NFL in DVOA for running backs on rushing attempts. This is Chubb's fifth NFL season. He has rushed for at least 996 yards in each of his five regular seasons. Uh, What Chubb is especially good at is generating yardage after contact. He, in this regular season, is averaging 2.32 yards after contact per rush. That is really good. Uh, Stopping the run has been a strength for the commander's defense this season, but the commander's run defense has lessened in recent weeks. The commanders for the 2022 regular season through week 16 were number 11 in the NFL in run defense per DVOA. That is a significant drop off from where they were just a few weeks ago. The commanders through week 11 were number two in the NFL in run defense per DVOA. Rhyming key for commanders Browns, number two, this for the commanders defense, limit Nick Chubb in order to get the dub. And rhyming key for Commander's Browns, number three. Uh, This also for the Commander's defense. Make sure the good Deshaun remains gone. Uh, Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson, he has played in four games since the end of his 11-game suspension. It is true that the Browns have been guilty of some drops. It's also true that Watson, in the Browns' 17-10 home loss to the New Orleans Saints this past Saturday afternoon, was playing in rigid conditions. But his numbers over his four games are atrocious, okay? Yards per pass attempt of just 5.72. Completion percentage of just 57.7 a mere two touchdown passes versus three interceptions. Uh, The Browns over Watson's four games are averaging an NFL worst 0.91 points per offensive drive. But he still is Deshaun Watson. And there is a resume that suggests that he will be a lot better than this. Uh, All the commanders have to do is make sure that the start of him being better is not this game on Sunday afternoon. Keep this in mind, too. We have seen this commander's defense this season struggle to stop mobile quarterbacks from rushing. Uh, Deshaun Watson, of course, is mobile. Uh, And so rhyming key for commander's Browns, number three, this for the commander's defense. Make sure the good Deshaun remains gone. All right, it is prediction time. Uh, The Commanders per FanDuel as of very early Friday morning were minus one and a half. You can't be certain about anything with the Commanders right now, but on paper, they are better than the Browns. And the Commanders need this win a lot more than the Browns do. And while those things guarantee nothing, you'd like to think that Washington in year three under head coach Ron Rivera in what is supposed to be, remember, a step forward season under Don Ron is at a point at which the team wins a big game against a bad team. I mean, if not, then what exactly are we doing here? So give me the commanders 
Final score, Commanders 27, Browns 17. Carson Wentz, three touchdown passes. Well, the Capitals on Thursday night played a terrible game and still got a point. So from that perspective, if you're a Caps fan like me, you should be happy. But boy, there is no overstating how bad the Caps were on Thursday night. The Caps fell to 20-13-5 with a 4-3 overtime loss to the Ottawa Senators at Capital Win Arena. Uh, The Caps' five-game winning streak ended, but they did get a point. And I cannot stress enough how lucky they are to have gotten that point. Uh, The Caps blew a 3-1 second period lead. The Caps got demolished in the puck possession battle. Uh, The Caps, per natural stat trick, had just 42 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Senators' 63, including, and brace yourself for this, a mere five 5-on-5 high-danger shot attempts to the Senators' 17. Yes, five 5-on-5 high-danger shot attempts to the Senators' 17. The Caps on Thursday night got more than tripled up by the Senators in terms of 5-on-5 high-danger shot attempts. Also, the Caps totaled just 23 shots on goal to the Senators' 45. So the Caps were nearly doubled up in terms of shots on goal. And then there was this. The Caps finished the game with 15 giveaways to the Senators' zero. Yes, you heard that right. 15 giveaways to the Senators' zero. The Caps on Thursday night were sloppy. The Caps on Thursday night were undisciplined. The Caps on Thursday night were bad, but they did get a point. Uh, But how about how the game ended? Center Evgeny Kuznetsov in overtime, the victim of a takeaway by Senators winger Claude Giroux at the blue line leading into the Caps' offensive zone. And the result was a two-on-none breakaway that resulted in winger Alex DeBrinkett's game-winning even-strength goal, 131 into overtime. The takeaway was odd and not a good look for our CAPS Caps, Caps, Caps as the Caps, three skaters on the ice, Kuznetsov, winger Alex Ovechkin, and defenseman Dmitry Orlov all like sort of came together in a Keystone Cops kind of way at one time. Uh, Goaltender Darcy Kemper on Thursday night stopped 41 of the 45 shots on goal that he faced. But you know, if not for him, this game would have been a lot worse for the Caps. Uh, Caps head coach Peter Laviolette, his post-game press conference on Thursday night lasted for a minute. Yes, a minute. Uh, here was the entire press conference. It just seemed like there were a, a couple of uncharacteristic mistakes that were pretty costly for a team that's been playing so well. Is that how, kind of how you saw this game unfold? I was part of it. I was part of it. What did you kind of see there in the end sequence and overtime and uh, mistakes at, at the end and overtime? Were there any similarities between this game and the game in Ottawa back in in October? There's not been too many games this year where you guys have kind of doubled up shots wise. And they were they were the better team tonight from the start to the end. So uh, lesson to be learned for us that we can't come out that way. Um, 
we've talked about your goaltending a lot here lately. I mean, it seemed like Darcy was probably the main reason you guys were able to eke out a point, right? Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, he gave us a chance, especially leaving the first period. Um, I thought he made some some big saves, and then he had to be on point all night um, for different reasons. Yeah, there you go. Peter Laviolette, not happy on Thursday night, and you can't blame him. Uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov did have a goal. Uh, he had a second period, even strength goal. He now has 14 points over his last 14 games. The goal was impressive. It came 15-56 into the second period as Kuznetsov on a two-on-one breakaway with Alex Ovechkin uh, skated the puck from the right circle through the slot and fired a wrist shot that went through the five-hole of Senators goaltender Cam Talbot. Uh, Alex Ovechkin had a goal. He had a second period, even strength goal. Also had a game-high tying six shots on goal and a game-high tying seven total shot attempts. Uh, Obi's goal came on a breakaway snapshot in the high slot, 115 into the second period. Look, the Caps are missing a lot of key players due to injury. We've talked about that a lot. Uh, defensemen John Carlson and Martin Ferravari, uh, forwards Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson, TJ Oshie, Connor Brown, Carl Haglin, all of those guys are out due to injury. Uh, by the way, the Caps on Wednesday morning did announce that they had loaned forward Beck Malenstein to their AHL affiliate, the Hershey Bears. Uh, he had been out since suffering a finger fracture on his left hand in a 3-2 overtime loss to the Vegas Golden Knights at Capital One Arena on November 1st. So yeah, the Caps are without a lot of guys, but still, that performance on Thursday night not good. Uh, next up for the Caps, home to the Montreal Canadiens, Saturday afternoon at 4. Some college basketball for you. We on Thursday night had both Maryland and Georgetown playing off holiday breaks. Uh, the Terrapins won. They improved to 10-3 overall with an 80-64 win over UMBC at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland. Uh, this was the Terps' final non-conference game of the regular season. The Terps did get a bit of a scare. Uh, they led at the half by just three points at 33-30. Led nearly seven full minutes into the second half by just two points at 44-42, but the Terps then erupted for a 36-18 run for an 80-60 lead. Uh, Terps won despite their three-point shooting again being really bad. Uh, the Terps won just six of 24 on threes. The Terps this season now are shooting just 31 0.7% on threes, but good on threes for Maryland on Thursday night was a Georgetown transfer, Don Carey. Uh, he had a good game. It was good to see this. 26 minutes as a reserve, 5 of 7 on threes, 1 of 2 on twos, 2 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 19 points. Carey came into the game having gone just 16 of 68, 23.53%. On threes this season. But, you know, you think about it, Don Carey on Thursday night, five of seven on threes. The rest of the Terps, one of 17 on threes. Uh, Maryland's three point shooting is a big problem. The Terps can play defense, but the Terps' three point shooting leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, Julian Reese was back. He returned from a one game absence caused by a shoulder injury, played for 23 minutes as a reserve, went 0 2 from the field, all twos, 7 of 12 on free throws, finished with seven points and seven rebounds, including three 
offensive boards. Uh, Jameer Young, graduate student transfer from Charlotte. He had a pretty good game, uh, 36 minutes as a starter, 0 of 3 on threes, but also 8 of 11 on twos and 2 of 3 on free throws. He finished with 18 points and 7 rebounds. Next up for Maryland at Michigan this Sunday afternoon at 4.30. Meantime, Georgetown, uh, another loss. Uh, the Hoyas fell to 5-9 and nine overall and 0-3 and in the Big East with an 83-76 loss at DePaul on Thursday night. Uh, the Hoyas allowed DePaul to begin the game on a 15-5 run, battled back to take the lead in the second half, but uh, ultimately fell short. Uh, the Hoyas' defense uh, rather mixed. Uh, the Hoyas did hold DePaul to just 17 of 40 on twos, but the Hoyas also allowed DePaul to go 11 of 22 on threes, and the Hoyas had no answer for Oklahoma graduate transfer Umoja Gibson, who in 38 minutes as a starter went 5 of 8 on threes, 3 of 4 on twos, and 10 of 10 on free throws. He finished with 31 points, 5 assists versus 1 turnover, 4 steals, and 4 rebounds. Uh, the Hoyas had a mixed game offensively, 7 of 14 on threes, that was good, but just 22 of 46 on twos and just 11 of 17 on free throws. And the Hoyas had a major turnover problem on Thursday night, 18 turnovers. Uh, DePaul committed just seven turnovers. Uh, Georgetown did rebound well. Hoyas out-rebounded DePaul 44-27, including having 15 offensive rebounds to DePaul 7. Uh, the Maryland transfer, Kudas Wahab, 34 minutes as a starter. He had a career-best 16 rebounds, including seven offensive boards. He went 3 of 7 from the field, all twos. 7 of 11 on free throws. Also finished with 13 points, two blocks, and no assists versus four turnovers. Uh, speaking of turnovers, uh, LSU transfer Brandon Murray on Thursday night, 39 minutes as a starter, 5 of 5 on threes, 6 of 12 on twos, 2 of 4 on free throws. He finished with a career best 29 points and four rebounds, but he also had no assists versus seven turnovers. Uh, Duquesne transfer Primo Spears, 34 minutes as a starter, career best 11 assists, but he also committed five turnovers uh, when 0-1 on threes and just four of 10 on twos. Next up for Georgetown, home to Butler, Sunday evening at 6.30. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 476, will feature in-depth reaction to and analysis of whatever happens for our 7-7 and 1 commanders in their game against the 6-9 and nine Cleveland Browns at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. Also on the show, I'll talk Capitals. The Caps have a game on Saturday afternoon, home to the Montreal Canadiens at 4. I'll talk Wizards. So the Wiz have two games this weekend at the Orlando Magic, Friday night at 7, and at the Milwaukee Bucks, Sunday night at 8. I'll talk college basketball. Maryland is at Michigan, Sunday afternoon at 4.30. Georgetown is home to Butler, Sunday evening at 6.30. Number 13, Virginia, is at Georgia Tech Saturday at noon. Virginia Tech is at Wake Forest Saturday at noon. And I'll talk Maryland football. The Terrapins are playing number 23, NC State, in the Dukes Mayo Bowl at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina on Friday at noon. Uh, the Terps per FanDuel, as of very early Friday morning, were plus one and a half. Now, a number of key Terps have opted out of this game. Uh, receivers Rakim Jarrett, Dante Demas Jr., and Jacob Copeland, and corner Deontay Banks all have opted out of the game 
and are entering the 2023 NFL Draft. Uh, the Terps do have quarterback Talia Tungavailoa. While NC State has had extreme quarterback uncertainty this season, the Wolfpack has started four different quarterbacks this season. I will take the Turtles plus the one and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Yes, thank you, Snoop Dogg, as we have our final Goldilocks selection of the season. Have a great weekend, have a happy new year, and I'll talk to you on Monday in 2023. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.